We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Disastrous own goal for Arsenal as continuation of winning ways in the ICC leaves Stan wondering what's all the fuss about. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Stan Kroenke, target of all these protests. Beat the uh, Rapids, that team. Yep. Beat Bayern Munich. Beat Fiorentina. Done it all in a canter. What's the big fuss? All he knows is we're a winning football club on its way to winning the prestigious ICC. And as far as he's concerned... More of the same, right? Right? No? Maybe not. All right. Well, you know what? we got a great podcast coming up for you. A little bit of uh, housekeeping. So we'll have a full season preview on the dawn of the new season. We're working on getting all that ready for you. Have some guests lined up for future pods. Uh, For those of you who enjoyed the TIFO football sensible transfers pod and when we did stuff with the Stats Bomb guys and... You know, we, we try to line up some guests occasionally to do some special stuff, and we are working on that now. Over on the Patreon side, Paul put out a blog, but it is now available for everyone. So if you did not get it when it was uh, Patreon content, you're certainly uh, able to go to Paul's uh, blog website, which, Paul, is is your website, your handle? Yeah. Posnimmypants.com. yeah. Cool. It is still the best handle and website on the internets. So you can go there and read his sort of season preview and cause for optimism. You'll be no doubt shocked to find out that it has a sunny disposition. You will enjoy it. Uh, In any event, we are here to talk about a bunch of things. We're going to talk transfers, of course, because it's the summer and we've done tons and tons of transfers so far. Uh, We're also going to talk about the game. There was a game, Fiorentina. A lot to process from that, I think. And then uh, we can get on other bits and bobs. So let's get started. And, okay, Paul, I think I want to start with the negative. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is that okay with you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff to get excited about, most of which relate to the kids. But I just want to start by talking about the back three. Now, look, I want to be clear. Mm. We... Uh, oh, <laughs> so in the Skype conversation, Clive just said, have you introduced us? I have not. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, Paul. <laughs> Hello. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. I just feel like muting you now just because just I'm good. Yeah, hello, hello. The problem was we had a nice little chat Look, beforehand, so we're all acquainted with each other. I was being but so not the, generous not the in promoting Paul's uh, website, blog, web blog, as they call it, that I forgot to, to do the Blab. most basic of things, which is introduce people. Uh, Tim will be on the podcast later this week, by the way. He is uh, busy deflating his head after uh, Ian Wright and Leah Williamson both uh, gave him, big, bigged him up on Twitter. So it's a lot to deal with. Sorry, uh, cough on my uh, my beer there. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so now let's get to the negative. Phew, now that that's out of the way. Thank you, Clive, for keeping me in line. Uh, first day on the job and all. So, Paul, um, look, it's preseason. And I think because we're doing a podcast, we're going to analyze the game. And I hate having to always do these caveats. But I fully understand that, like, because we do podcasts on it, and we're all on Twitter now, and we all watch the preseason games now, there is a tendency to draw conclusions from it and take it a little more seriously than maybe is warranted by what should be, certainly at this stage of the summer, more of a fitness exercise. But I do want to talk about the back three. I, I think what we saw in the first half of this game, despite getting the goal, uh, and, and a lovely goal at that, were some of the same problems that we saw in the back three towards the back half of last season. And that's namely that the two in midfield were outnumbered. There were four around the two pretty much the whole time. No access to midfield. And I realize it was a very young midfield but there's just no room there. And so the ball is always shuttling back and forth between the center backs. I mean, if you like a game where you see center backs passing the ball, this was for you. It eventually tries to get to the wing backs who have a lot of weight on their shoulders, a responsibility to progress the ball into the final third. I just see the back three as giving us all kinds of trouble with ball progression. So with the caveat in place, firmly in place, we like things that are in place firmly, um, that this is a preseason game. Did the first half of this game give you the same cause for concern with the back three that we saw last season? I mean, yeah. Um, it was like herding cats, only the cats were doing their own herding in the back three. Um, uh, I mean, I guess basically Mustafi was the anchor man, gulp, um, Chambers to the right, Nacho to the left, and, uh, you know, on his best days, and he does occasionally have some. Mustafi is not your anchor man. Uh, if you have a good anchor man that he can he can uh, freeform jazz off, then you have some chances with Mustafi. But um, it, maybe he was the most natural of the three to hold that role. But it was it was never going to be the bedrock you're looking for in the back three. And quite frankly, we were god awful at the back. Um, you you'd made a few comments beforehand about you know where was the um, who was going to be the passer within midfield who was going to be the more creative force who was going to create those passes or are we just going to have to recycle it up the wings and I was somewhat confident that Burton would shine a little bit based on previous performances but I mean our mid our young midfield was basically drowned by the chaos in fact our overall play was in the first half and let's let's be honest in terms of general play and you can't get too carried away with xg plots and stuff but in the first half they were by far the more consistent team I mean we had some good opportunities and uh, the lads did well overall blah 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 but um 
you know, for a young team. But um, they they really ran the game in the first half. And I think a lot of our chaos came from the back. I mean, when you play a back five but can't play out from the back, um, that's not a good thing. Hmm. Um, and we couldn't create from the midfield. And I wouldn't particularly blame the two young lads. And it was just, there was no sense that any of the three in the back had any kind of reference point. Uh, it didn't help Nacho being rusty as shit and giving away the ball twice early on to rattle everybody. But um, I think we would have been self-rattling regardless. So, yeah, it did. It, it was, I mean, I, I want to see the back three not really used this season. So I was kind of glad it was a couple of nails in the coffin. Uh, we were definitely better with the back four for whatever reasons. We could debate those in the second half when we were a lot better with Socrates in place. I'm a bit, I'm still, I know th- we've reached this accommodation point on Twitter where if we, if you want to defend Socrates, you dig in with, well, he's okay. He's decent. He's fine. Uh, because there's a whole bunch of people who think he's shit. Um, doing my usual, finding my usual resting point. I still think he's pretty good. Okay. Um, and he was he was the best thing about our defense, that and switching to a back four. Yeah, well, all right. So, Clive, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is we did get a goal in the first half from Enkadia. Uh mm-hmm. Are we going to say Enkadia or Enkatia? I mean, do we have a consensus on the podcast? I like, I like it. I like Enkedia. Just but you know, I can live with that. Either okay. way, it's more. So let's do that. Let's call it Enkedia. It, him, the human being that is uh, our potential future star striker. Let's call him Enkedia. Um, he did get a goal, and he got it in the way that you want the back three to create chances, right? Getting it wide to class snatch, overloads on the wing, uh, a little slip ball into the inside forward who gets into the channel and then crosses it to Enkedia for the goal. So great. But it is still the buildup that is the problem. And I don't think it's that we had young central midfielders. I just don't think there's any access to the midfield whatsoever. And so the ball slides back and forth between the center backs as they try to look for the wing backs. And then the wing backs have to sort of find a pocket of space, collect the ball against the touchline, try to beat a man or play one twos down the wing. It's just a really one note way of attacking and also puts a lot of stress on parts of the team that aren't necessarily our strong point. So before we get into the individual uh, that I am most excited to talk about, and that is the comedy stylings of Shodran Mustafi, let, let me get your take on the back three. I mean, I realize Great. that it, is, it exists in theory for, for two reasons. I, I think you'd say namely. One, it's a, it's a formation that lets us potentially get both our strikers playing together up front. And two, it should give us more defensive solidity. Do you think it does those things well enough uh, to overcome the lack of ball progression that it provides? I think your your points about ball progression are are, are noted, and I think there's a way of playing. The noted back or valid? Oh, I think I think I think they're, I think okay, they're valid. Okay, thank you. I think they're valid. And and to that point, I don't think we should. I, I think we should think carefully about playing it with two strikers, and maybe you know, almost play a box in in midfield of one striker, right? So, so the back three, it, you need to work out how you want to use it. So I'm going through this dilemma right now myself because I used the back three all last season with the team I was coaching, and it worked fantastically well. I got into adults this year, and we're we're rotating between a back three and a four-two-three-one or four-three-three, and the back three is looking not great. I'm looking at this thing, I'm thinking, why is it not working? And so I look at Arsenal and I think the same thing, why is it not working? Okay, 
if you use a back three, you need to have a level of depth to your team. You need distributors in the back line. And so you need at least two fantastic passers in that back three that can drill the ball between lines, vertical passing. You need your midfield two. You need to have one deep, one slightly higher. And the one deep has got to have wing mirrors on to help you progress. And you almost need, the way I've seen it work best, is you almost need two sort of wingers playing inside so they can carry the ball up front and leave space for your wing backs to come through. Now, another issue with the back three is if you don't press the other team, they switch diagonals on you all the time. So you have to decide, do I want to give them the ball and press them? and then hope for poor quality to come to us, and then we progress the game? Or do I use it as a counter-attacking system where I drop deep, bring them on to us, and then I counter-attack rapidly? So there are scenarios where the back three works. And more importantly, the back three works for us all because our players are average. We've got full-backs that are really wing-backs, and we've got centre-backs that, if we play any of them in a two at the moment, you're literally watching a game from behind your settee. And so the manager's using it for security. He's not using it because this is his preferred formation. I think he's using it because this is the best way I could utilise the players in my squad. For pre-season minutes, but I actually think there are points in the season where you're thinking, you know what, I don't trust them in this current state. I need to have a base where I can play from. Now, is that a good enough reason to use it? I'm not so sure. I, I do prefer, uh, currently for this Arsenal team, I prefer a back four. But we just haven't got the players. The fact we debate it means we haven't got that solid central defensive two and that solid fullback pair in a state of health or purchase, shall we say, that makes us feel comfortable playing the back four. So I just think we can understand why he goes to a back three. But I do think he needs to have game states from which to use it. So decide if you're a counter-attacking team, are you going to sit deep in a deep block? Or decide if you're going to give them the ball and press them and take the ball off of them and have two strikers and really overload the, up, the areas up top and take it from them. And then if they do get it out, You've got three defenders there to collect the ball and start the build-up. So I think sometimes Arsenal play a back three out of fear and lack of quality without really having a strategy. So the system is not the issue. It's how and when we deploy it, I think, is, is the real issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Look, uh, Andrew, also known as The Arse Blog, based on his website, which can be found at arseblog.com, uh, asked Unai Emery in the post-match interview, about the back four versus the back three. And he really, I mean, he took the answer sort of this way and that way, but it seemed to rest a lot on who his central defensive options were, saying that, yep. you know, Nacho Monreal can play center back in a three, but not in a two. And I think what he was sort of driving at is that the center back selections are going to have a lot of influence over what formation we're playing. Um, yeah. It's just that I don't know that I believe three center backs has given us any more solidity, unfortunately. He also pointed out they're working really hard with Kolasinac to be a better uh, fullback and a four. Back. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, Tierney presumably would be another potential solution to that, as Arsenal are now a full-time bid-making club. We are just, all we do is make improved bids for Tierney. That's literally all we do as a club anymore. Um, but so, it is interesting to me, and I think that, leads you inexorably uh, to the discussion of Shodan Mustafi. And, Paul, mm. I, look, I fully acknowledge that judging senior players based on preseason performances is folly. 
So let's engage in that now. Um, I mean, well, well, to be and to be fair, seeing as I engage like our 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 youths and our performances in preseason on the positive side are the second coming of Arsenal. I think it's only fair that we indulge the negative aspects equally seriously. That's an interesting point, right? I mean, if you're going to say like, ooh, Joe Willock has impressed me in preseason, you have the right to say, ooh, Shkodran Mustafi has not impressed me in preseason. Here's the reason why I worry, right? So, and by the way, I want to just touch on something just really quickly that that maybe isn't too important, but I, I tweeted about Mustafi how his performances have sort of bottomed out, and it's bizarre because when he arrived to he's the club, he's gotten worse. He's gotten worse. Uh, I I used to defend him to you, and now mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Right. And the funny thing is, my my tweet wasn't even particularly abusive; just an observation of the fact that he went from being a usable center back to pretty much unusable. And it's interesting to me how many people are prepared to blame fans in defense of a player. And I get that booing is ugly. And the fact that he got booed as a sub the other day was not pretty to see. Um, I I realize, look, abuse and threats and trolling online, there's no place for that. I do think we overestimate the extent to which fans have an impact on players. Man, uh, Emmanuel Boué got booed off as a sub at Arsenal. He had two relatively productive seasons from that point. I mean, it's it's not impossible for players to recover from this, but I do think that they understand if performances slump that this is kind of what goes with professional football. But what I wanted to bring up about his performances that worry me is, it used to be that he was like a 7 or an 8 out of 10 defender who just made really bad choices once or twice a match. Now I feel like the basics are leaving him. And one thing I've noticed he's doing also, he drops off. He drops off and he drops off and he drops off and he drops off. If you run at him, it seems like his two modes now are dive in early and miss or drop all the way off back to his goal. He just seems to have completely lost, and maybe it is confidence, maybe it is the fans getting on his back, maybe it's reading in the papers that the manager's lost faith in him and wants to shift him, but he seems to have become, as far as I can tell, pretty much unusable. Maybe that's harsh, but do you are you nearing agreement with that conclusion? Yeah, in his current form, and he is a lightning rod for for frustration. And you know, while I agree with your 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 general thought that it can't really be used as an excuse uh, for a player because it's just part and parcel of the game, um, we might be well advised to actually be somewhat encouraging to him. Uh, I know nobody's listening, and nothing will change. But actually, it probably wouldn't help him to have a little bit of support and a little bit backing. I don't know if we do that kind of stuff as supporters anymore, and I know I don't go to the the Emirates or to away games, so who, I should shut the fuck up and mind my own opinion. But to those who, who might... The, the two actual uh, stadium supporters listening to us, it, it might actually be a good idea to support the players, but it is what it is, right? This is the way the game's played. This is the dynamic between supporters and players it's just what it is it's what he signed up for it's what he gets paid the big dollars for and he's got to pull on the tough skin and uh, buckle up and get on with it now there may be an aspect of the fact that he knows you know in you know if we're trying to sell him then we've sat down with him and said you know Shkodran we like you but if we get a great offer would you be willing to look at things because we're trying to you know whatever formulation you want to come up explain to him why we want to keep him but we also wouldn't be totally averse to him leaving well if he gets that feeling that he's more closer to the chopping block than anybody else it probably hasn't settled him for the preseason so he might get a bit better during the season than he is right now because he's utterly shite um and uh, so but he's also not suited 
particularly to being the central well in particular he's not suited to be the central guy out of that three i know why he's picked of the three of them because he's the most um senior official center back uh of the three players but still good god um, he's not the man you want in the middle as your reference point. Uh, if he's skittish, imagine how the others are feeling. So, yeah, he's gotten worse. Uh, you, you can't quite explain why. You could come up with some excuses for it. Um, one hopes he would settle down when the season comes along. He's still here. He's still part of the formulation. If holding uh, it gets fully fit and can stay the course, then we might have Socrates and holding, and maybe we bring in some other fairly well-blooded um, centre-back, whether it's a Johnny Evans type later on in his career, or a 23, 24-year-old would be very nice, but I don't know that we have the, the budget for a good 23, 24-year-old. Nobody else seems close beyond the normal names we would mention, and mm. maybe we keep Callum Chambers around, but I don't know that he's... You know, he he did play in midfield maybe for a reason last year, yeah. and he never quite answered the question when he was here. But you know, maybe this is the year that that he proves himself to be uh, as capable as holding, yeah, uh, and as steady. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess look, I, I realize that it is harsh to evaluate Mustafi any further. I mean, the the judgment of him is already pretty much in place. I think it's sort of set in stone with a lot of fans. And judging him based on a game where the two midfielders in front of him are kids, Chambers is on one side, Monreal's on the other, and Jenkinson's one of the fullback wingbacks. Like, I get it. It's it's not an ideal situation for him. I just feel that the mistakes he makes and the things he gets wrong now are sort of the block and tackle of of being a center back, just the basics. The other thing is, you know, you look at like a David Luiz who can play the central center back in a in a three. He can step into midfield and pass with authority. He's got the range of passing. Mustafi's passing has really deteriorated from what I can tell. I think he was pretty decent at it when he arrived. He's just much looser with his passing now. So I think all in all, it's hard to see how this becomes a reclamation project for us. Clive, I, I, I don't think we need to go in two-footed on Mustafi, although we already have, so why not finish the job? It could be like that tackle against that kid on Liverpool in the Sevilla game. If you missed that, check it out. Uh, trying to kill people in preseason now. But... It was brutal. But, I mean, do you want to put a coda on this? Where where do you stand with Mustafi? And do you think that we could be nearing a point where you just can't start him in a meaningful game? I, I think this is something that the club need to think about very, very seriously. Um, you, you just you can't progress when you look behind you and there's a couple of guys there that are either injured, can't run, can't jump. Don't offer any visible sign of presence and security. I mean, there was just a, there was a bit in the game. It's a preseason game, right? So, you know what? Sometimes you can see that Lacazette in that first game, he could barely run, and you watch him thinking, "Bloody hell, you're 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 not fit, right? You're not fit." Second game, he looked a bit sharper. Comes on, lays on two goals, has shots. Thank you very much. He's on his way back. Good player, right? Um, what Socrates preseason last year? At Boreham Wood, could barely run. And everyone thinking, Crikey, what have we got here? Gets fit, decent player. Mustafi looks fairly fit. Straight ball down the pitch. He decides to go fishing for it. Smashes through a player, misses it. And next minute, the whole team is running back to their goal like the charge of the light brigade. You know what it reminded me of slightly? It was like a baby version of the Aguero one in the League Cup. 
You know, yeah. he, he rushed he forward for bored. no reason. Ball goes right over his head. Yep. He gets bored. He says, I've got to go and do something. I've got to go and do something. I've got to go and smash somebody. So the stuff that he's doing wrong is not about ability because he can win tackles. He can win headers. He can pass the ball. It's about what's between his ears and how he feels and what he's doing under distress. And under distress, he goes fishing. He goes fishing for the ball and he starts. And Tim, Tim nailed it. He said it beautifully once. He's almost looking for a way out. I thought that was beautifully put. And he does this. He looks for a way to check out of a situation. Honestly believe his confidence is completely shot. I what Paul said about Mustafi just saying, I said this last season. He's not going anywhere, I don't think. So we do need to support him. And I said we need to start I actually said we need to start loving him and everyone laughed. But we do need to start loving him because at the moment we've got not even a third of the player that we bought. And it's in our we, own vested interest, isn't it, Clive? Exactly. Sometimes, just put it aside. Look around. Have you seen any rumours for centre-backs? We've got our captain who's, who's, who's injured leaving. and he's, only, <laughs> he's leaving. We've got Socrates that we all like, but we know gets, he's going to get 12 bookings this season. Chambers, who we're starting to wish cast on now. Well, I'm telling you, mate, Chambers is like a souffle. He goes straight through him. He's bright. He's... <laughs> He's he's bright. He's a lovely lad. He's got some lovely holiday pictures. But I'm sorry, it's not happening. He's you a friend what, He's I a <laughs> Yeah, I don't care what you say. This is not Sol Campbell here. We're talking about. And if we want to get somewhere, that's that's what we've got to be thinking about. We need some solidity. Just look around at the other centre backs in the top six. You know, Chambers won't even get onto the. And onto their benches. We gotta get we gotta get our heads on about this and be real. Rob Holding now it's very interesting uh, what I, I I would prefer if you call him by his real name, Bobby Sacramento. Okay, I'm missing some of those. I know you keep talking about it. I need to read that. I'll get with um, it in a second, yeah. <laughs> okay. Rob Holding, I've always felt was a, a promising player. I was a bit concerned how Arsenal fans were calling him the next Tony Adams. I thought we were a little bit, and I don't mind bigging up young players, but I thought we were a little bit premature. But I don't know if you've seen the pictures of him. He used to be slopey-shouldered and have very little physique. He's now got a physique about him. He's obviously been working. And I started to think about his mentality and how he approaches a game of football and how mentally strong he is to produce that. He's quite skillful. He's got aggressive speed, but not top speed. But he's got enough speed if he's got a very quick partner to be something. I'm starting to change my thoughts on him where I thought he'd always be a third centre-back. I think, actually, are Arsenal saving a space for him rather than by? Are they really saying, we're going to back you now to be our number one left centre back and when the new kid comes next year that's your partner and if Arsenal did that although it feels nervy right now I would really praise him for doing that because the easiest thing to do is to buy a left centre back right now 40 million and and block that kid's door and I think it's a, it's a good thing and, I, and I'm very hopeful that he can get back to the, to the level he was starting to show Mostly in the back three, Elliot, I'm afraid, but starting to show before he got injured, where I was, we're all becoming convinced. So what do we do? I do think we need to... I'd like to see a, maybe two go. You know, I, I'm, I'm classing Chambers as a, as a centre-back. I, I, I think I'd love to see Chambers go and play, because he needs to. And 
Kishoni tiramisu. Yeah, okay. Kishoni needs to go because he's he's looking at the south of France and the sunshine being near his family. So we need to buy somebody, and we do need to buy somebody. And until we see that, I think none of us are going to be convinced about the other signs which you're going to get to later on. But we need to realise that what we have at the moment isn't good enough. Don't wish cars. It's not good enough. It's not going to do the job. It's going to let us down. That's it. Yeah. By the way, I think that's what they're changing the crest to on the new shirts. <laughs> it's not good enough. It's not going to let us down. Just in Latin. I don't know what that is in Latin. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The Bobby Sacramento thing, for those of you who don't know, over on the website known as Instagram, I believe it's called. Um, it's like a telegram, only it's instant. So it's Instagram. Um, so Rob Holding is is dating a, a nice young woman from America. Very pretty. Very pretty girl. You very know, nice. Very nice. Honestly, you guys. Seems very nice. Can it just be that they really connect on a deeper level than all this superficial stuff? But anyway, um, there are a lot of lovely photos of them enjoying what could best be described as Americana. Okay? So they're in a cornfield or a hay field, uh, and she's wearing a faded American flag T-shirt, and he's got jeans on, and they're, they're sitting Daisy in the back Jukes. of a pickup. Isn't that yeah, what they call yeah. them? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Well, well, he's wearing them, though. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's sitting in the back of a pickup truck holding him arm in arm while they're drinking Coors Lights. There's a video of him firing a very, very, very large gun at a Target. Um, there's her on his shoulders at Disneyland. I'm not making this up. This is this is really what's going on. Um, uh, I'm not sure if he knows it, but he's he, having the time of his. No, he's not. And I'll life. tell you why. Because if you stitch all these pictures together, what you realize is this is basically a shot-for-shot remake of the original, the opening love affair scenes of the movie Armageddon. And actually, Rob Holding is going to be sent to a an asteroid to try to blow it up, and then they're going to have a tearful reunion through a computer screen as she cries. And, and then he, he blows up. Um, actually, though, if he's lucky, the dad is the one who blows up and sends the... You know what? Watch Bruce Armageddon. Willis. Just watch Armageddon. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, so he's Bobby Sacramento. And I, I got to give credit where credit is due. I think it's DTDC Gooner. Is that the name? Um, Something very close. Yeah. 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 So uh, if you want to follow the ballad of, of Bobby Sacramento, DTDC Gooner um, has it pinned to his Twitter account. And you can kind of go through it. And just he's very good. He's very good. He is. He's very. Uh, <laughs> he's yeah. very engaging. Shall we say? I really like him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same. All right. So, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to football, though, because it's well, why? But let's do it. Um, Paul, I, I want to reengage you on a topic that you brought up last time, and I thought you'd catch a lot of heat for this, but I have to admit it. It is an issue of con- concern. Might be putting it too strongly, but I want to talk about Reese Nelson real quickly. He struggled, didn't get into the game again. You know, this is the period where we really want to see something from him. There's now rumors that alone the Palace could be part of a deal to bring in Zaha. This is supposed to be a big winger talent that we're trying to develop, but Saka is sort of catching the eye more. I have sympathy for poor Reese in this game because he's got Jenkinson on his side. He's got Chambers on his side. The ball was flowing down the left a little better because you have Nacho Colasinach, um, you know, and and that, that makes it a little easier. Do you have any thoughts on Nelson's performance here and you know, a, a game that just sort of passed him by a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it. I think he'll be a little bit frustrated because again, other people are getting the plaudits and the attention. Um, I mean, I don't feel we have to have hard opinions on these things, right? I, 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 I I'm one who's who wouldn't put a, wouldn't have put Nelson at the top of my most likely to succeed. I think he's talented. I think he's good. I think he can succeed. He 
I think he can succeed at Arsenal. Just feels a little light and a little young and a little immature still. Um, and any time, almost any time I've ever seen him play for us at a senior level, um, he's looked a little bit kind of fluffy blow away. Um, hasn't, hasn't, he's never really for me ta- fully taken um, the game uh, by storm or really impressed himself on the game. I thought, I mean, I, and I'm not hammering him. I, th- I thought he was okay in this game. There were some extenuating circumstances. I think he had a few nice uh, passages of play, but I don't see anything that would make me as a manager say, all right, if you're, if you're saying I'm, I'm going, I've got space for three juniors in my squad that are going to take me through this year that he's, He's one of my three picks. Um, he's not. He's uh, uh, We bought Martinelli, I suspect, for a reason. Now, he's suspiciously in the same position, arguably, that Nelson plays, <clears throat> depending on which wing he plays from. He might have a slight preference himself from the left-hand side, and Nelson can play left or right, but I've often seen him play from the right. But there's absolutely no reason Martinelli can't play from the right, and we went out and paid good money for him when we didn't need to. So I assume he's around for some reason. Um, and we're also strongly fishing in the market for a Zaha or Zaha uh, clone, which is going to play from the left, crowding out those wing positions. I, I just think it's going to be very crowded where he is, and if we're going to bring... Uh, Enketia with us into our full season he's not going to play all his minutes at centre forward, he's going to get on for 10 or 15 minutes uh, I mean, we, it was very interesting seeing him and Lacazette as a two man up front and him and TJJ uh, Tyrese John Jules playing as a two man, maybe that's not a formation we're going to play too often, but uh, I can well see uh Eddie getting pushed out to the wing for 10 or 15 minutes when he comes on as a sub, etc. So I just think it's going to be really crowded in positions that Nelson would see as his uh, his purview. And he just, you know, he needed to grab this, this preseason by storm. To give myself some credit, Elliot, and that's not something that's done often enough. Well, someone's got here. to, I guess. Yeah. Uh, my big pitch when we remember a few weeks ago when we were really fucking depressed. I can't remember exactly about, but there was like no positivity anywhere at the end of last season into preseason, looking at preseason. And my big thing was look, the one thing that gives me life is that preseason is the time we discovered Ganduzi. And whatever you say about Unai not playing the juniors and not playing the kids, there was a 19 year old who from the start a preseason, went at it like the clappers, and Unai did back him all the way through, because he's looking for new blood, young blood, who buy in, and I don't see enough, uh, so I think there's serious opportunity for two or three op- players, because Unai has shown, he doesn't hold your age against you, he just holds, can you impact, and can you buy in, and younger players have an advantage in that, they, they've nothing to fucking lose, right, they can, they can adopt a new cult, 
and go out and balls out, whereas somebody like the other end of the spectrum, Ozil, is invested in style of play, a philosophy, excuses, reasons why things aren't working out for him. A kid has no excuses. He basically has never played as part of a system. He fully adopts the system. So the, the one advantage these guys have is to totally fucking dive in the Unai Emery pool. How do you want me to play? What do you want me to do? Um, I think... And Ketty has shown signs of adapting to that because he, he's a kind of that old-style striker who does fuck all except when it's his moment to shine. He, he, you know, he strolls around, he looks lazy, etc. And he's been chasing, pushing, uh, uh, pressing the front line from time to time. Uh, and I, I like both aspects about him. I like the player who pretends he's not really in the game and then he fucking uh, annihilates the back line on the break with when a, the ball over the top comes along because they thought he was strolling back from an offside position, but he got himself turned around, which is how he got that goal that uh, TJJ put the cross into him against, uh, was it Byron? Byron. Um, yeah. And he's got a number of goals with that looking lazy, looking not involved, and suddenly he springs to life. So this new aspect to him where he's energetic and pressing, etc., I'd like to believe, early days, is him adopting uh, the religion, the the formula, the code. And I think that that's opened each one of these players. Mm. And I don't hate Nelson. Um, there's a lot I like about him, but... He's never just punched me in the nose and said, holy shit, the way TJJ has, Enketia, uh, uh, Saka, etc., etc. These guys have at least in two games punched you in the nose and said, holy fuck, that was really good. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, Nelson has a body of work that has people excited. And I, I, I think what we see versus what he's doing in, in the totality of his young career, you know, is is looking through a keyhole and trying to understand the room you're looking at. So I want to be careful. But I wonder how many people really watched Nelson when he was playing those games, though, as well, opposed to... Well, but I'm not to... talking about just, you know, like Arsenal fans on Twitter. I'm talking about just the the, the people that write about football and talk about him along the way mm. and the people who were... I've watched him. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you... Look, I don't want to spend too much more time on Nelson because we want to talk in Kedia and Willick and, you know, some of the yeah. things that happen later in the game. But why don't you give me sort of a quick coda on uh, Nelson and we'll move on. I think Nelson is the one that maybe is slightly ahead development-wise to Saka, Eddie, etc. Right, and Joe Willock. He's like the one year, sort of one year up from development-wise, and he's always been the superstar. And when you're told you're the superstar, you feel as though it's just coming to you. He's the one that that debated his contract. He signed his four-year, five-year contract, went out on loan, hit the heights dropped off a little bit at Christmas time and he's now come back and there's, there's like an expectation around him but I actually think it's a little bit of danger around him and and I think sometimes we have a number of these players at Arsenal that attacking mids Iwobi Nelson Saka Smith Rowe you know even Maitland Niles sees himself as a winger and now we talk about Martinelli now added in as Paul alluded to and we talk about buying Zaha and there's Nelson in there. And when you see all this activity around you in position that you play, the first thing you need to do in your own mind as a football player is say, okay, I speak to manager here. I need to tell him, I'm this player. I want to play here. Right? And I think his position is on the right-hand side of the pitch. I think we have weaknesses on the right-hand side of the pitch. We have loads of players that can play on the left-hand side of the pitch. I've said it before, but I do think he should be an option at right wing back. 
to make our five, our three at the back much more attacking and much more ball progression-wise like we used to have with Oxley chamberlain played wing-back. I think we need to go back to that type of and overload with, with a winger in one side and a full-back on the other. I think that could be an option for him. And obviously playing on a 4-2-3 on the right or a 4-3-3 on the right. But I think he's to focus on the right-hand side to give himself the best chance in this squad. If he doesn't, he's going to get lost because we've got so much going on around him. He's going to get lost. And I worry that he's going to be part of any Zahar deal. Good for his playing time. But I honestly feel he really wants to play for Arsenal and he could actually break his heart if he goes unknown again. And so he is as I, I he concerns me. Not because I don't trust his ability, is I just think we need to settle him down into a position, into a side, and say so we're gonna use you as a wing back. And trust me, he can do it, I've seen it live. Use you as a wing back or use you on the right hand side and share minutes with other right handed side players like Mikatarian, for example, and just leave you in this slot and we'll develop left hand side. Now, obviously, we, we, we keep forgetting we have lost Danny Welbeck. And so we need a third striker. None of these kids really are going to be able to produce what Danny Welbeck did. Eddie, potentially, but we don't know. So, that, you know, going back to the Sahar thing slightly. We need a third striker. We are talking about, we cannot expect Aubameyang and Lacazette to be fit and healthy the entire season. So we need someone who can play wide, who can play up front. And that's why the club is chasing Sahar. Nelson can't do those jobs. We're not sure if Eddie can carry the team in those jobs. And none of the kids we have behind are really going to put as a second forward or a first forward on their own. So there is a requirement there. So I think we need to develop Nelson back to him, right-hand side, define you, relax you. This is where we're going to play you. I think we can see the best of him from that moment onwards. Okay, well, I hope so. I mean, look, I I think this is the problem sometimes with preseason is you're looking for moments. And sometimes the really exciting athletes flash a moment. But in the Premier League, in the brutality of the games that matter – you need a little more polish. You need just a little more crispness. And while moments are great, you might find that in the Premier League, Saka is suddenly passing at 50% and turning the ball over 12 times a game, whereas mm. Nelson maybe isn't bursting as much, but he's tidier on the ball. His passing's a little crisper. He's a little cleaner. Those are the kind of things that are hard to tell in preseason because the games tend to be a little sloppier and lack some of that discipline. So, hey, look, yeah. hey, look, can I say one last thing quickly? Yeah. In that Bayern Munich game, we were getting killed in that game. Remember in the wide areas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what Emery did? He brought on Saka on the left-hand side in front of the fullback, and he brought on Nelson on the right-hand side in front of the fullback. The whole game settled down. He doubled up on Kingsley Coman on the right-hand side with Maitland Niles. Suddenly they got on top of that battle and we won the game. I see these young kids being used a lot. We, we look at them as attackers, but Saka and Nelson are very good defenders. They're very strong. They protect the ball mm. well. They're very intense on the press. Sometimes when you go up a level, it's your base skill that comes out. And if you can defend and you can hold games, then the manager can trust you. I thought as a major moment that Bayern Munich came, how we utilized them in the last 15, 20 minutes to basically take the game, protect us from losing the game, and we eventually won the game. And I can see that happening in more games this season, using those young kids to protect fullback, hold leads, create counter-attack situations, and, and win games that way. So I hope, I was pleased to see that, actually, very pleased. Yeah, I mean, the only pushback I'd give you is that I don't think we ever handled Kingsley Coleman particularly well. But yes, I, yeah. I take your point about pinning the back. <laughs> Let, let's talk in Kedia for a second, though. Um, 
Clive, since you brought him up, we can come to Willick in just a minute. You know, we don't know what we have in Enkedia yet, and it is just preseason. Mm. But the one thing that I think is really encouraging is in his 101 minutes, he's taken 10 shots. Okay? That's 8.9 yeah. shots per 90. That's close to what Arsenal taken away games, all right? He's averaging yeah. 1.5 XG per 90. So these aren't shots from 30 yards out. He's getting into good positions. The goals he scored were poachers goals, by and large, um, this this preseason mostly, you know, from, from in close. So the, I like seeing that he has the personality to shoot, to get into scoring positions and get his shot off because that's something we need more of. We we can't just have forwards who get the ball into the final third like it will be. We need forwards who will get shots on goal and score goals. So, I mean, you sort of said that Nketi is not there yet, ready to be Welbeck, but how do you feel about the performance specifically in this game and if you're starting to come around on him? Because Emery has said that we want to see more from him and that we expect him to... He's, there are minutes available to him this season. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of him. And and, and the reason why is almost so, you know, when we talk about players all, all amongst ourselves... When I talk about them, I'm always thinking away in my mind. I'm thinking what I would say to them if I could speak to them. This is what I want you to do. With Eddie, I've got nothing to say. I've literally got nothing to say. Mechanically, wise, the way he runs is, is beautiful. The His balance he, as well, right? Oh, my God. He's a beautiful athlete. I mean, my, my family, are, are, my daughters are athletes, so I know about mechanics of running. The way he runs is perfection. It is like Theo Walcott. They're running like they're running on. On not left floating, the way he moves, it's beautiful. Um, you can't teach that. You just can't, right? So, the pictures he has in the box when he receives the ball, he, he knows what he's doing when the ball's coming. He's got all types of finishes, inside, outside of both feet, laces on both feet. He knows when to have two touches, one touch. And I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, okay, I got I got nothing to say to you. His movement is electric. He runs off shoulders. He can play wide. He's happy in wide areas. He can go down the middle. If he was the same size of a Bamiyang right now, we'd be talking something extremely special. Extremely special. Right now, at this moment, that's the only thing he's lacking is about three inches in height. But he makes up for that with intensity of movement. So what are you looking at? You're looking at a Express Jermaine Defoe type player. That's what you're looking at right now. And... That's not a bad... He had a great career. That's not a bad way to start, right, when you're 19 years of age. I've got nothing to say to him, apart from... We spoke about the other day that if he does start scoring, what could happen? Because I think it's just confidence to know he can do it. I cannot tell you a single thing that kid needs to do. He just needs to keep playing. Can, can I ask keep... you a question about him, just real quick? Mm. I mean, if... You know, look, we know what the Aubameyang and Lacazette thing is, and we know that they're going to play up front together at times, and sometimes we're going to try to play a 4-2-3-1 and play one of them isolated. Would you yeah. be okay with Nketiah getting playing time as one of the wide forwards in that three behind the striker? Or if that was the option, would you rather see Asaka and Nelson get those roles because Nketiah is not naturally a wide player? I think if you're looking at, say, for example, the right-hand side, I think um, Nelson is ahead. But you know my view on sharing games. You know, there's no problem why you can't say, you know what, I'm going to play you, Nelson, to start. But last half hour, Eddie, that's yours. Do you see what I mean? And see who does better. And if if you do better, Eddie, for this game, next time we do this, you'll get the start. Can, can, you know? can I and push back on that just for one thing, Clive? Because you, you just really <laughs> brought something into my mind that I hadn't thought about. 
This is where I think it can be a little bit harmful that we have a manager who is flexible. I like that he's flexible, but who doesn't have really a first choice, clearly delineated style. Because if, for example, he knew 4-2-3-1 is my setup, I'm not going to use it every game, but it's what I prefer. He might mm. say, Nelson's more important for me this season than Enkedia because I've got two strikers who can rotate through that one up top. But because he sometimes wants to play 3-5-2 and sometimes wants to play 4-2-3-1 and sometimes he's going to play the diamond two... Isn't it harder for him to determine which youngster has a clear path to playing time because Enkedia might work better if he's going to play more of one formation, whereas a Nelson or a Saka might be more valuable with the other? You, you make a great point. I mean, it's something that some people are comfortable with. You know, Emery's style is a tactical style, and he changes his tactics based on the opponent and what he feels he wants to achieve on that particular day. Not everyone's comfortable with that. You know, we played a diamond last year, I think, three times. I think we won twice with it. I quite like a full diamond, too. I think it suits our team. He doesn't seem to use it every single week. I like it. I don't really like the 4 2 3 well. I think it misuses certain resources we have. But it looked pretty good against Bayern Munich when Aubameyang was turning down that right wing. Right? So, I just think it's it's about how you apply yourself. I think that's more important. And your form. You know, the four two three one, suddenly Mesut Ozil breaking beyond people and separating. I quite liked it. He looked good in the box. He was making crosses and shots. He was shooting. You know, the Ozil thing, I, I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting dilemma what's happening there. Somebody I completely written off and wanted sold. I'm starting to... I'm starting to, I'm starting to wonder what really happened last season. You know, I'm, you know, if we dial back to what happened post the, you know, when he post his German exit, and there are a few little whispers out there about things like depression and things like that. And when you hear that, you think, okay, I don't know if that's true or not. But look at the state of that guy towards the end of last year. He was not a footballer. He was not moving. He was not running. He had, he looked awful at certain stages. And then you saw this player in preseason. You saw his, his demeanor, his happiness, his movement. And you thought, hold on a minute here. Maybe there was something badly wrong last year that maybe we as fans are not aware of. Something that's happening in his personal life. We just don't know. So, and I think you know that's something to watch out for because that player made us all sit back and think, what the hell is going on here? Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he looked, he looked okay. Come on, he looked okay to all of us, and um, and maybe we've forgotten that. So, again, I systematically wise, I'm comfortable with the changes. And I'm afraid, mate, you're not going to get your wish. I just think, um, I just think Emery's going to always change. But no, that's fine, uh, Clive. It's not so much. And look. Is it my preference? No, maybe not my preference. It's not so much that I have a problem with that, but I think in the context of trying to determine which young players you're going to keep at the club. I mean, we've seen it with some Mm. young players, even under Arsene Wenger, right? Some of their development got stunted by being shuffled around positions that maybe didn't suit them. We saw it with Oxlade-Chamberlain, who played central and wide and wide fullback or wingback. I mean, um, Maitland-Niles maybe going through a little of those growing pains. If you're trying yeah. to determine which youngsters to keep with you in the first team, having a clearly delineated system lets you say, you know what, this position really suits this young guy. He'll thrive in it. But if you're changing yeah. a lot, it's harder to make that determination. So, Paul, um, a final word on Enkedia, because I, I think Willick is, is another interesting one that we should talk <clears throat> about. And I, I have what you'll be surprised to know is maybe a bit of a hot take on Willick. So why don't you, um, why don't you punctuate this conversation on Enkedia with your, your final thoughts there? 
Yeah, so Clive hit some great points there. I want to inevitably hit, Yeah, I want to make two <laughs> three quick ones uh, that I won't elaborate on. Look, Eddie's build is really interesting. He's 59 just like Lacazette, just like Ian Wright, just like a lot of really good strikers. He's I mean, I'm only going off Wikipedia on this next one, but weight-wise he's within 3 pounds of Lacazette. Now, Lacazette looks more muscular than him there's no two ways about it and he's he is at this point stronger but eddie's 20 so i don't think uh his build is necessarily the issue right um and certainly ian wright had a blistering career very i mean very explosive player but build wise was not bigger than eddie for most of his career and then you know, just on the movement and the balance thing, uh, Eddie has that brilliant ability to create separation with the ball, moving it to the side, uh, so fluid, so gr- graceful. And I think that's one of those things you're looking for in a striker, a guy who can make space coolly, head up. He's always intelligent. He's always looking around. So uh, high hopes from there. Uh, on the confidence thing with him, I, I any striker needs goals to be confident, but Eddie is not one of those guys who loses confidence in the way 90% of the planet do. He mm. loses confidence in the way that a really good striker loses a bit of confidence because he just needs a goal, but that's all. I never got the feeling that uh, Eddie in his life – now, we're feeding off scraps as usual, but I never got the feeling that Eddie does not believe in himself which is quite something for a guy who was cut by Chelsea and then picked up because Joe Willock says, that fucker always scores against us. So, um, anyway, obviously my my excitement for Eddie is unbounded, so I won't go on too much on that. The Ozil one's a really interesting one, and I think it relates to the formation we may play next year. I can't imagine that Emery doesn't have a preference, and it ain't what we saw last year. I think we understand that. He's generally been variations of 4-2-3-1, and yes, he's tactical and he's flexible, etc. But uh, I'd be pretty disappointed if Emery comes out of his first full window, even with a limited budget, without having got the players he needs to play the system he prefers, having had the rapprochement with um, the detente with Ozil to... uh, that they're all like BFFs and doing pajama parties together. <laughs> There's no fucking way that's going to last more than a week if he goes straight back to a three at the back, tactical flexibility, changing shit all the time, uh, banging up the wings instead of you know creating blah blah blah. Uh, so and Paul, we, what do you what do you think yeah. about Danny Sabayas then? Because if that oh yeah happens, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's Urzel's spot, isn't it? Right there and then. Well, is Sorry, it though? I, just, I mean, look, I, I maybe I'm wish casting. Yeah, no, I could tell from yeah. all the really disgusting noises you made right into the microphone. <laughs> um, am I wish casting that that Ceballos could be a Shaka stand-in that that he no. could play a oh. little deeper? Oh. I mean, can we maybe just get Shaka out of the team a little more? He's more of an attacking player, mate. To be honest, he's more mm. of an attacking mid. Um, and when well, he was very young, are you suggesting he, he that Shaka's was... more defensive then? Because I take I think, issue with I think, that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull out some Shaka defensive stats and send them to you. No, I think um, no, I think Savias is a much more of an attacking, press resistant type player that's really good around the edge of the area. That that, that little final pass, that one-two combination shot. I don't see him. Working against uh, Torreira, Guendouzi, or Shaka, to be honest, mate, not at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, but, but we we can get onto the Sabios thing just a little bit. More. Well, we're on it now. So, I mean, 
Yeah. Why, why don't we keep going down that road? Because I, I, again, would love to talk about Willick so I can get my ideas out onto this podcast, which is not at all what I'm here for. But, Clive, if if he's not going to stand in for Shaka and he is going to be more of an Ozil fill-in potentially, I mean, where does that leave us? Because to me, you know, with all the money that's invested in Mesut Ozil, you'd like to think we can get more out of him. That might not be possible. So, fine, you go get a more athletic guy, a ball carrier in Ceballos. But, like... Does does that solve a problem that we have? Uh, to Tobias one, I, I, we we really got a roadblock in attacking midfield, haven't we? We really have, you know, with these young players we're talking about. And if you add potentially to and Tobias to that, what you know, what are we doing? What are we talking about here? Right. So we talk about a number of players that play in those areas. Something's got to go. Someone's got to go. Either we loan or someone's got to be sold to make it all feel right and work. And we're not seeing any rumours about players being sold. There was a rumour early in the summer about Mkhitaryan to Dortmund. That seems to have gone quiet. The Ozil stuff to Turkey, that seems to have gone quiet. He seems very comfortable in London. He's £10 million house, and I don't blame him. So we're not going to be seeing him go. So Tobias coming in, for me, is a direct direct opponent to what Ozil can do. If Sahar comes in, it will look at that spot as well. He wants to be that central attacking midfielder. Maybe a, a double, one or two eights in a 4-3-3, but we don't really play it. Could he be an outside tip and left-hand side of a diamond in a four-diamond two? He, he definitely could be on occasion. So we've got a roadblock coming up, haven't we? And I'm, I'm not sure how we're going to solve it. And all this time, I could hear people screaming into their mobile devices saying, when the hell are we going to buy a defender? And, and, they're, and they're right. They, they are right. Just look at our squad. It is light at the back door. It really is. It's really a crazily light with players of health and players that want to leave and players who are old. And so, you know, although we're having a bit of fun here, we really do need to think about what we're doing at the back. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's literally no way we survive this season with the the centre-back options we have right now. And it, yeah. it's going to force Emery to play the back three more, which I think is the wrong reaction yeah. to it because then I think what you do is you you have fewer of the good players on the pitch, fewer of the qualities in the side that make it special, more of the qualities that make it pedestrian. I don't think you solidify the defence much and you definitely blunt the attack. So I hope I hope we do something that helps us not go that route. Look, I think the Ceballos thing is really interesting because here's here's my Willick take. Willick has totally woken me up uh, to the deficiencies we've had in midfield in some ways, which is just mm-hmm. you put someone in the midfield who can carry the ball and run and has some athleticism, and you're like, holy shit. We haven't had this in ages. Who was the last powerful runner or athlete we've had in the midfield? Someone who could carry the ball, someone who could drive past players. Rasicki, maybe a little bit. Um, San- Ox. Ox, but he was rarely played there. Um, yeah. uh, Santi did it more with trickery a little bit, but he could do it a little. I mean, Vieira, <laughs> I mean, like, you're you're really going back that far to find guys that have done this. And you put Willick in there, and he's starting to develop that bigger body and a little bit of a burst. And it just, it, to me, it was a huge wake-up call. And it, by the way, it made me really excited about the idea of getting Ceballos because it's some of that quality. And then you see Willick yeah. roof the ball into the net for his goal and arrive in that Ramsey area and you know, look, Ramsey. You could say, people could be screaming into their their podcast listening devices right now. Ramsey, what about Ramsey? I don't know that Ramsey is 
is an athlete in that way. He, I don't think he carried the ball particularly well. His, his progressive runs were his quality. And Willick looks like he can do it on and off the ball. And I would love to see midfield a midfield three where we have that quality. So if it's Ganduzi yep. and Torreira plus a Ceballos or plus a Willick, and that's that's where the Ozil conundrum really gets you because for all the delightful things Ozil can do on his day, he can't give you that. Torreira doesn't really give you that. Ganduzi doesn't give you that. And Shaka, I mean, this is why I think Shaka, and it, this is the other thing the Willick arrival has kind of made me realize about Shaka. I just... There's a little of the Giroud in him for me, which is it's hard... The way my eye watches football... I don't love a static player. I don't love a player that can't get around the pitch. And and Shaka's inability to move, to shift the ball onto another foot and drive past someone, it's really hard to watch that anymore. And I think watching Willick has really woken me up to how nice it is to have someone who can ride a challenge, surge past someone and push into the the you know the final third. And that's that's maybe why we want Ceballos because we haven't had that and and him and Willick together could make an interesting couple of choices to add that. So I've been really, really impressed with him. Um, another person that we saw do it, so Ozil comes on, and one of his first contributions, or later contributions, it wasn't one of his first, so the opposite of one of his first, one of his last contributions, he he plays a really clever little just slid ball to the on-running Martinelli, and holy cow, does he flash something. Drives right through the middle of the pitch, right past everybody, and curls it just past the post. And that's what these youngsters are doing for me, I'm, I'm at an age of my life where I can call people youngsters, right? You, you youngins, youngsters, you, you tadpoles. Um, you know, they're, they're showing what a little bit of burst and, and athleticism adds in this team. Saka shows it, and Enkedia shows it, and Willock shows it, and Martinelli showed it. Paul, that, that was a highlight moment. And just one of those types of dynamic runs through the midfield that we really lack. So between Willick and Martinelli and maybe Ceballos coming, I mean, is that your big excitement to see a little drive and athleticism added back to the center of the pitch? Yeah, fully endorse that. And the thing about Martinelli was I didn't know who the fuck it was because it was coming from the left-hand side. <clears throat> I think we were countering from a, a corner or a, tur- a turnover or something further downfield. And, like, this guy comes streaking through the fucking middle, and I'm like for almost the whole play till he gets to the box i'm like who the fuck is that guy <laughs> it was great and like he had pace on the on the ball he, he kind of took it he nutmegged someone at the end of the move to get into the box it was beautiful yeah yeah and uh his his touches towards the end weren't great but he was probably busy shitting his pants well it's also and, i mean it's what 33 yeah. degrees celsius he probably yeah. needed a bottle of water at the end of that run <laughs> and it was a long run so but but he'll he'll shore that up it's it is apparently based on stuff i've read and the the bits i've seen something he's actually pretty good at he's um he he plays from wide but he's very comfortable uh, th- shown up in the middle um, and fancies himself as a bit of a center forward. He said something about yeah. how he's not really in the uh, kind of holding the ball up, getting uh, need in the back by center backs or whatever. Sees himself a bit more Ronaldo as a kind of a center forward or striker. But uh, he's very comfortable coming through, uh, arriving through the middle. And um, like he was, would have been beautiful. It was, he was inches past the right post here. He almost got it right. Um, 
maybe if he'd hit it just a little earlier, as we've seen Theo done on the do on the counter for a while. At one stage, Theo liked shooting really fucking early when he was about to go one on one, and it seems like a a great approach. You got all the angles your way if you if you pull the trigger a little earlier. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Running through the middle, we've seen it with Willock. Uh, you, you know, you immediately start thinking, ooh, uh, a touch of Vieira and a touch of Diaby there. He's got a little bit of that. I don't know if he fully has, obviously, uh, that quality. He doesn't have it yet, but maybe he'll get there. You see a little bit of... Oli Inca reminds me of kind of a young Willock, if that's not a ridiculous thing to say about a young Willock. Mm. But uh, he seems to have a little bit of that too, so maybe we'll have a, a small production line of it. But that's... I agree with you. The thing about Sabalos is he's kind of an all-singing and all-dancing midfielder. Uh, I hear uh, Clive, and I bow to his greater footballing instincts, but I don't think Sabalas... I don't... I guess my feeling is I'd prefer to see him providing options and, as the season progresses, replacing one of our existing CMs. Um, take your pick out of them. I do think Genduzzi has brought us a little bit of that running through and from mid midfield. But maybe he doesn't have the power of the run that some of these players have. He he has the turn and he'll jink through a tackle or whatever. Uh, so that's been nice to see. But I agree with your general point. We don't truly have that uh, midfield eight who, you know, if they leave a little gap, will power through the middle, take the ball with them and put the fucking center backs into conniptions, creating openings all over the place by pu- pulling players towards him as a Vieira would or a Diaby would where like five players descend on him open up, opening up all sorts of gaps all over the place and Willock's done a bit of that for us uh, from what I've seen at Sabalas, what, I, what I've read on him um, he's just really good on the ball we also don't have a player who can really hold possession in midfield at the moment uh, Ganduzi's quite good Chaka isn't for all the reasons we know he's a great passer but he doesn't we don't really have a player who helps Emery hold possession for longer his passing super clean his movement his ability to escape the press blah 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 his ability his threat through the the middle or through a gap to tear up the pitch will will have people sitting back a little bit and he's just it looks very heads up uh, very clever passer i think he gives us a whole heck of a lot none of our other cms uh, represent and I think yes, it, it might allow us and therefore encourage us playing with a, a true three, which might squash mm. Ozil out. But I don't see him as a direct replacement for anything Ozil does. And from what I understand, he's not truly an in-the-box midfielder. He's not a Ramsey. He's he's the guy who'll get you right to the edge of the box and lay the ball off. I mean, he does get in there and he does have a few nice goals from within the box, but everybody has that yeah. in their highlight reels. So, Yeah, I mean, I look at it this way, right? When Torero wins the ball off somebody, you, you have two ways you can turn around and get the transition going, progress the ball, right? You can give it to Ozil and Ozil wants to look up and move the ball. Or you can give it to someone who's going to put their, you know, basically put their head down and drive through the midfield. Um in Ozil, we have the former when he's up for it, when he wants to do it, when he shows for the ball. In in Willock and maybe Ceballos, we'd have the latter. And maybe, you know, the wish the wishful part of me says, can you create a three with one of those two, a Willock, Ceballos, an Ozil, and then a third, you know, a, a Torreira or a Ganduzi? Um, Maybe not. Maybe they, they, they can't sit as deep. The thing I like, Clive, and we'll get off this game here in a second because I, I want to just quickly touch on some transfer stuff. 
um, mm-hmm. because hashtag clicks and stuff. But like uh, the <laughs> the the thing with with Willick when he played in the first team previously, I don't think you saw his personality very much, and so I had a very wrong sense of the player. I thought he was just sort of a safe, as you like to say, sort of regain, retain, keep the ball ticking over, safe passes, get it to his partner, stay out of the limelight, kind of midfielder, almost an El Nenny. What I love now is that we're seeing, or I should say I'm seeing I'm totally wrong, which is a pretty frequent occurrence, but he wants he wants to build the play. He wants to drive the play forward. He wants to, once he's given the ball, continue his run into the box and try to score. We saw a little of that at the end of last season, and that's a player that can help us deal with the loss of Ramsey. So, I mean, as a final word on Willick, are, are you encouraged that, now that now that we've seen him a couple times perform with a big personality in preseason that he could be ready to step up and take some of those starting minutes? Yep. So the last part for me, he's in our first team. He's in the first sixteen, shall we say. So he will be either on the bench or he'll be playing. I think that's what's come out of this tour for definite. He'll he'll be in that group. It's other people who have to leave the club to make space for him. And I think he's, um, this is a great thing about young players, right? When you see it developing, it's so exciting. Once, and what's exciting is once they realize they can do it, even watching Martinelli in the first game, but then seeing him have the confidence to just take on a defense like that in his second appearance, forget, forget anything else. He's 18 and he just said, nah, I'm taking this, I'm going. And to have the confidence to say, I'm going to go right through this team. Willard did the similar thing. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to go. And you look at you know, it's what I've been saying about these young players. What excites me about them is their, is their dynamism. And we all agree that we looked quite pedestrian towards the end of last season. Now, other than Aubameyang, uh, who's, who's got that? get you up off your chair dynamic athleticism in the squad. Yeah, we all want it. You know, it's not just me being we all we all want to see an increased level of dynamism and intensity and speed. We're seeing it in attacking areas in midfield. We want to see it in defense because that level of assuredness will give the whole team confidence. But yeah, I mean, Willock, for me, it was one beat he did in one game. It was a sharp ball in defence. He was right on the D defensively, popped into him. It was shuffle between two feet, bang, gone, out of the hole, drive. And it was like defensive situation where he was nervous to win now on the move. And everyone followed him. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, I, you know my favourite player of all time was Patrick Vieira. He did that every minute, every week. Get the ball, shuffle, gone. We're on the attack. Everyone following him. To see somebody who wants to take it to you, I love that. I love players who can move and drive through the pitch as well as pass. And we've become a pedestrian passing team that can be stopped by a low block and then can be countered against because our recovery speed is poor. If we can have players that can affect people on the move, then we're going to break low blocks. We're going to challenge teams in a transition. And I think we're going to get back to having a few more shots than we had last year, Elliot. Yeah, and you can't just bracket Aubameyang and say one behind him, one in front of him, and good luck beating us, right? I mean, you yep. you now have players that can get past you, and I, I'd love to see that. So another part of this then, I guess, look, we move on. It's Real Madrid next. I guess quickly, Paul, before we talk transfers, with the Real Madrid game coming up, my guess is he will revert back to starting with more of the regulars. Um, you know, I mean, is 
Is this a game that you're excited for? How do you how are you taking this whole ICC thing? And do do you think that Emery will have a similar approach to Madrid like he did to Bayern, which is playing seventy or eighty minutes of it like it's a competitive fixture? Mm. Yeah. So uh, I was sympathetic to Tim's view last last pod, which was. Uh, you know, when you were being critical of us playing 80 minutes uh, of of senior players um, flat out, basically going for the game in like pretty much our second uh, preseason game. You know, is this wise? Uh, I'm with Tim. I don't really know. Um, and I won't pretend to be an expert on it, but I share your concern that we that Emery is a bit kind of funny uh, on on bottoming out the senior players, not just in preseason, but then, and we're basing it on his first season. So you can see arguments for why he would want to, he was always talking about getting data and learning from combinations. And when things went tits up, hey, it's more data points. So you can kind of see it in the first year why he overplayed the seniors uh, in Europa League games, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a little worrying, I suspect, um, but but I don't know enough to tell myself I'm right to worry. So yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned that we overplay the seniors, um, but I mean, surely we have the data behind it and the expertise to manage that. But it does make me nervous that we're going to play this the seniors against Real basically uh, like a proper match through, uh, and it's feckin' hot there. So maybe that's the one thing that might uh, preclude it uh, and forces into a more pragmatic approach. But yeah, um, but um, what the ICC thing, I don't think it matters a damn. I think it's totally meaningless. On the other hand, we have played, it does mean we're lining up against two very good teams. The Bayern game was very good for us and for morale and for the players. And I think I think there were some good echoes there between Bundesliga, as I talked about before, and and uh, our lineup of players. Real Madrid will be interesting too with Ozil. So I, good news is he'll want to perform. So we should see more of of the Ozil we're starting to co- come back to loving again. Uh, interesting conversations potentially between our folks and theirs around Sabayas. So maybe there'll be uh, some some movement in our uh, director's box or whatever they'll be we're interesting reported to Reported to watch be finalized too. by the end of the week. So, you know, I mean, yeah. I, the funny thing is that one's starting to feel more done than Tierney. Yeah. Since we've yeah. been recording this podcast, we prepared three different bids for Tierney, by the way. Three, three, three. <laughs> um, so we'll, yeah, we'll we, see. we had that little interchange about. I was concerned our our Zaha bidding team had got confused and were counter bidding against our Tierney team, and they were going at each other one to one, and that's why we're we're up to five bids a week between the two guys, and the the two clubs are sitting back oh. on it. Oh, I wouldn't joke. I'm sure that Husfami has everything under control, Paul. Yeah, okay. um, speaking of which, Clive. Let's talk Zaha real quick before we get out of here. Um, he is turning into quite an expensive player. We are now trying a little from column A, column B, and column C in that a little of money, yeah. a little loan of a talented young player, and a little bit of our garbage. So it's it's $55 million, maybe someone like Nelson or Smith-Rowe and Carl, uh, on loan, and Carl Jenkinson in permanent sale. No offense, Carl, but it's... Yeah, I mean, some offense, Carl. Uh, <laughs> so, Clive, as, as far as a deal like that, I mean... 
I, I can't out of one side of my mouth say, gosh, it's great to see us have some athleticism and drive and then say I don't want Zaha, but I we're not going to get 80 million pound players every summer. If we spend it on Zaha, we're going to keep him three or four seasons. He's going to hit 30. We, you know, we're not going to recoup this. It's kind of a go for it now. It's a, it's a big investment in a player who's proven and good, but I do wonder what his ceiling is and if it wouldn't be better saying, let's get someone that, that could really blow up for us. But he is a player I would love to see at Arsenal. I just worry that we've we've decided to stretch our budget beyond what makes sense for the player. So what's your take on the latest bid and where we should be going with this? See, I, I ignore the budget because we, I don't think that budget number, it was real, but it was just PR. But there is a value discussion to have. And is it value? Um, I do think there's a, a, a hidden value to Zaha. I think, um, you know, he does bring a level of, expectation but also i think of all the players we're linked with he's the one that could deliver right now and definitely say he could improve our first 11 right so and i think that's a fair statement you we can debate by how much i've seen all these numbers for last year their numbers for crystal palace a low scoring team um, that spent most of the season in the bottom half of the table. I don't think his season last year was as good as the season before. The season before, he was playing more as a second striker rather than a, rather than a wide player. So there was a difference to his numbers, a difference to the areas he was taking up on the pitch. I like the player. I don't know why we're all so obsessed with the, the money angle, because we do look at all angles. I, I would like to see us get some value. We, we see... Uh, we don't seem to ever get value in the market these days. But if we're going to spend more money, let's spend more money on somebody that could change how we play, change how we feel about the team, add something to our dressing room, add something to our to our attacking areas, and really outscore teams. And Elliot, I heard you and Scott speak before. We should just go and outscore teams. And we have lost an England international who's 28 years of age, and we're buying a 26-year-old, soon to be 27-year-old, potentially. Do I like the numbers? No, not really. Would I like to see 50 million plus Chambers and Jenkinson? That feels better to me. Um, I could, I can live with that. Um, but if we're talking above that sort of number and into the 65s and plus Carl Jenkinson to make it 70, that feels a bit heavy. And what that will do much like the way we react to Ozil with his wages, that'll put a real pressure on Zaha to deliver. And if he doesn't, I think Arsenal fans are not ready for another financial mistake. They're just not ready to, to suffer that. So it's a very important move. We decide to click on it, then it needs to work, for sure. Well, and it's, it's more than that too, right? Like, I mean, if you buy a Zaha for 40 million and he gives you 10 goals and five assists for a couple of seasons, which is maybe less than you were hoping, but not bad, you can sell them for forty at twenty nine, you know, so or or yeah. get some money back and go again, try again, whatever. You spend eighty million pounds on a guy, short of like eighteen goals and ten assists or whatever, he's failed. I mean, that's the point, right? Because you can go out and for forty million pounds get a twenty two year old with really high ceiling, get a couple of those, 
and turn them into 100 million pound players if you're lucky and still probably get six goals, four assists, eight goals, five assists, you know, something in that range. It's not that I don't think Zaha is good. He dribbles, he's pacey, he's athletic, his defensive energy is good, he knows the league, he's good against big clubs, he he gives us a way to break down packed defenses. I like him. At 80 million pounds, when you're paying, you know, the money for him that guys like Salah would command or, you know, Sané would command or, you know, pick pick a star around the world. You need the guy to be a 20-goal guy, a 20-goal 10-assist guy. He's got he's got to be in that range. And and it's mm-hmm. it's not that I don't think Zaha's a good player. You are talking about money that makes him one of the most expensive signings in the league in history. And the output you need to get for that is massive because, remember, you're buying him at a stage where you won't be able to sell him later. So, Absolutely a fantastic player. Absolutely improves us. But, you know, we talk, why do we have Shaka and we can't move him? Why do we have Mustafi and we can't move him? Now, granted, he's a better player than those guys. But we overpay players who are maybe not at that level, and then we can't shift them. So if you're paying $80 million for Zaha, what does an £80 million player get in wages? 180 a week? 200 a week? That's the other thing you got to be careful about. So... You know, it's it's just to, one of those things. You have to lose somebody. You have to lose. You have to lose somebody. You have to. You, have to you also have to lose Ozil. I mean, I'm sorry. If you can't shift three hundred and fifty thousand a week off your wage bill, how do you pay eighty million plus two hundred a week for Zaha, twenty six years old? You got to get some big wages off the books. If you listen carefully to what Josh Kroenke said in his statement, and I know no one wants to listen to that guy, but I think there's something in there. It's not the fees holding us up. It is the wages. You know, we spent a lot of money on Obamiang. Lacazette in consecutive windows. We did pay big transfer fees in the past, but you know we've put a, a squad together that is very much on Champions League wages with Europa League football, and so the, the our, wage- our wages aren't that high though. Well, I mean the They've problem is the, con- the, the concentration of wages are a real issue, right? We lost a bit of Dimitri with what we did this year, <laughs> even though it was and, and if you read Swiss Ramble's latest ramble from a couple of weeks ago, we were the lowest of, I think, the t- the big six. We were right. Yeah, yeah, and but in the old days, there was a huge gap with us and Spurs, and now it's, it's, it's not that significant. So uh, I hear you, Elliot. He did say that, but it may have... I just wonder if it wasn't a bit more one of those catchy phrases that talks about mm, is maybe, really talking yeah. about. So, but he, but you know what the wages do, Paul. I think yeah. my bigger point is once you put a player on those kind of wages, you you make them a permanent fixture because you can't sure. shift them unless they're great, right? Once a player is yeah. on two hundred thousand pounds a week, unless he's twenty goals and ten assists, no one's buying him. You know, no, yeah. no one's right. buying I, Mesut Ozil on yeah. three fifty a week. No one's buying Granite Shack on whatever he's on a week. No one's buying Mustafi on what he's on a week. You know, the the, the wages commit you to the player in a more substantial way. Yeah, Can and I, I agree on the financial. No, Clive, I got, I got <laughs> okay. to say something here. Oh, 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 got to oh. say something. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the the re- the reason I might push the boat out a little bit more is because Emery, for for fuck's sake, you know Arsenal, he's entitled to one pick. Um, he didn't, mm, you know, he, he missed out that. on his first <laughs> first win. That's a really good point. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're going to keep him, and we are, he's entitled to one pick. Well, I think you know, he, I think this, he is entitled to say the type of player he needs to play the football he wants, and the technical director and the people above him are entitled to decide who it is. I mean, that's just yeah. how I view it personally. Okay, but hang on, uh, <laughs> I, I hear you. Uh, he tried. He got one player. At the during the January window, what position was it? Now, 
Let's not get it. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. In fact, he was so desperate for it, he took a risk on a player it turned out to be broken. Um, so this is a position he sees as a game changer and maybe the thing that opens up his 4-2-3-1. Uh, Zaha is a lot like Hazard for me both in terms of kind of what he does on the pitch. Obviously, there's some st- substantial differences, and uh, and Hazard is world-class, and Zaha is, you know, top-class, but not world-class. But he has that impact that goes beyond his numbers, if you ask me. He's a player that will not be ignored on the pitch. And I do think, to Clive's point, he does change... Uh, what we can do. He's not just another player and it's not just about his goals and assists and defenders fucking hate playing against this guy. I I also think he might be one of those players who has a little more mileage than 30 years old, but uh, I echo all the financial concerns. This isn't the way you'd go, but if this is the player, my concern about not backing Emery, and it seems like the club is backing Emery, uh, and the reason I'd want to spend more than I want to spend on him just as a player is if this is the player that makes Emery feel he can unlock uh, his preferred system of play and allow him in his second year to play something a lot closer to the 4-2-3-1 I was expecting to see in the first year, then fuck it. Uh, get him this guy and get him a centre-back. Uh, I'm slightly less concerned about Tierney than I would be about making sure we lock down Zaha or a damn good uh, f- facsimile of him and a centre-back. Um, uh, but I understand the mm. purpose of our full-backs and our wing-backs yeah. and the overlapping play and Emery has also relied on them. We need a few players, don't we? We we do need quite a few. Look, I I want to be clear. If we sign Zaha, even if I think it's a stupid move economically, I'll be extremely excited to watch him. He's a fun player and it will be fun to watch us. So like from a pure fan standpoint who doesn't have to be responsible for any of the shit the club does, bring him on. Hugely exciting. I think the idea that we should just do whatever it takes to get this player over-exaggerates his influence and his quality. I think there is a breaking point. There are some players that are worth whatever it takes to get them. I don't think he's in that category. I also think there are teams that are close enough to winning that you do whatever it takes. Liverpool did whatever it took to get Van Dyke, and as it turned out, they were right on the brink of something special, and that that did it for them. So kudos to them. I don't know that we're there. Clive, you want to finish us off on this and, and make me feel yeah, better? Yeah, I mean, it's, some, it's, some no, 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 no. I think um, there is something more... Zaha, I just think, just uh, just bringing in a a I said it before, bringing a London boy in, something that we can really work commercially as a club could see that money come down quickly if he's successful. If he's successful, he will be massive. He will truly be massive. He is waiting for this movie. It's now or never for him. Twenty seven, twenty eight doesn't work. Twenty six, twenty seven. This is it. This is your moment. You went too soon at 21 to go to Manchester United. It's now or never to see how good you are. He's the best player outside of the top six. I think we could see a significantly better player playing for Arsenal. He can create a yard for a pass all day and every day. He's passing to Benteke and Andros Townsend right now. He'll be passing to Ozil, Sabias, Lacazette and Aubameyang. That's a different ball game. I love that you've that given really us Sabias too, because none of us, none of us whatsoever, have any concerns that Arsenal could screw this shit up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I've already decided we've got him right. So, um, so, and that's a different ball game. 
And so you have to go and press him. That's going to create room for other people. It's a different thing when he's playing for Arsenal. On the wages, briefly, I remember what um, uh, Vinay said on that on the two-headed monster interview. Um, basically, Arsenal are happy with the wage bill where it is. It's all about efficiency of spend. We've lost a lot of players, stupidly, and just because they've rolled off their contracts in, in the summer. I think it's around £600,000 a week or something like that. I may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Somebody will tell me if I'm wrong. And we could do with losing one or two more, maybe. Um, and so we've got the wages spend. We just need to be more efficient with it and get a better quality. I mean, Carl Jenkinson's on forty to 45000 That needs to stop. Right, so so there is there's room still to do here. See, El Denny's on sixty, Chambers is on fifty plus. There's a lot of money still there for us to get. So wages isn't the issue. I just think we got to be better spending the money that we have under our number wages number. Yeah, I mean we we could dig into the Everton Suarez or rumors, and we could we could dig into some of the other ones that are out there. I don't think they really merit it because I, I know there's some of you that maybe think we're getting Everton. I, I don't believe so. So let's let's just wait and see how that plays out. If you had to guess right now, Clive, do you think we'd get Zaha? Um, yeah, yes, I do. Wow. Okay. Paul, your guess? Yeah, 50-50, but, but just tipping to yeah. I mean, we've been very, very, very consistent on this guy. I mean, look, depending on what the fee comes out, if the summer is Saliba, Tierney, Ceballos, and Zaha, it's it's not exactly a disaster, is it? I mean, it's, no, you know, it's I, not exactly acting like they didn't care. Oh, boy, you just, you just put your foot in it, motherfucker. That's on you. Let's leave it there. Uh, Paul's on Twitter, and, and believe me, you can find him there, at Posnan in my pants. Thank you, Paul. This, this is nothing on my next cranky conversation we have. We'll save that for the patrons because they deserve that. They don't deserve that. You know, we'll save that. We'll save that for a podcast that will never be published. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Hey, sign up for our Patreon or don't. You know what? Don't. Do. Don't. Do it. Do it. Do it. Don't do it. You know what? Whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. But if it makes you happy to do it, we'd love you if you did it. And if it doesn't make you happy to do it, don't do it. We love you anyway. We're going to put out lots of pods. We're going to put out lots of stuff, videos. We're going to do more YouTube videos. In fact, uh, I think I have a pretty special YouTube video lined up in the future that should be fun. So you might want to watch that if you like videos. Otherwise, just keep listening to the audio stuff or read Paul's blog or don't. You know what? The important thing is that whatever makes you happy is what you do. And hopefully, we make you happy because we love you. My name's Alex How Smithy. do you do that, Elliot? What? How do you just like talk? Talk and then talk around and then go back and it's like you got a ball at your feet and nobody can take it off you. You're like fucking messy in the midfield there. Paul, if I had two tongues and they were both on my feet, I could play central midfield for Arsenal. That is a disgusting fucking. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be where I'd put. So you the know extra what? Some, someone mock that up on Sorry. Photoshop and send it to me at Yankee Gunner. You can block me on Twitter. There, we love you. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal ten Real Madrid. Yes.